The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Paul Leslie Hour. I do not take for granted your audience, not one bit. I'm very glad that you're here. So I had one of those really terrible flus. I was really down for the count. I want to say nine days. And you know how when you're sick, you start to crave comfort food. Warren Zevon, rest his soul, the great songwriter, he said, enjoy every sandwich. Well, that's where my heart and mind was. I wanted a sandwich, but not just any sandwich. I wanted to go to the Hoboken Cafe in Marietta, Georgia. Recently, MSNBC called it the number one Italian restaurant in Georgia. And if you've ever been there, you know why. The food is just great. So I went out, got in my car, I drove an hour. The sandwich was fantastic. I loved the sandwich. But even better, after I had the sandwich, I got to sit down with the owner-operator, Johnny Pizza, and we talked for about two hours. The food was great for me, but the conversation and the camaraderie, it just warmed my soul. It was exactly what I needed. So, if you find yourself in Georgia, whether it's business, vacation, travel, or you live here, I highly recommend the Hoboken Cafe and ask for Johnny Pizza. See if he has a moment to say hello and have a great sandwich, of course. That day, it was a Friday, I was in Marietta, Georgia, and a friend of mine was performing in concert just north of there, Kennesaw, Georgia. And this person is named Chaz McDonald. He has been a friend of the show, a friend of mine for a number of years. For those of you who don't know about Chaz McDonald, he is a guitarist, a bassist in the genres of blues and rock. He plays a lot around Atlanta, Georgia, but you could say that he has performed across the country and even in some places like Japan. He used to play with the band A1A quite a bit. In fact, Chaz McDonald is also a vocalist. He wrote a song that appeared on one of A1A's albums. It's called Please Don't Wake Me in L.A. It's a great song and a great story. Aside from his musical talents, Chaz McDonald is also known as a great storyteller. Many of Chaz McDonald's tales are band stories, or stories that could only happen to a musician on the road. In fact, this interview that you're about to hear has one of those band stories. He's a great storyteller, a humorist, a very fun guy, an entertaining person to talk to. He's also one of the foremost fans of the band ZZ Top. I'll tell you, these are some of my memories of Chaz, my most vivid memories. He would play with A1A, and after the drinks had been flowing, when maybe some of the older, more docile people had gone home, Chaz would take the microphone and he would sing songs like ACDC's Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap or Keep Your Hands to Yourself by the Georgia Satellites. You're probably getting an idea about the kind of singer he is, a great blues rock vocalist. So let me know what you think about the Chaz McDonald interview. Here it is, folks. Enjoy. The wait is over, ladies and gentlemen. The man who is the key to the pursuit of happiness is sitting down here in Jeff Pike Studios, sometimes known as Electric Phyllis Land. 
Jazz McDonald, who has been wowing the Atlanta areas for years with his rock and blues style, is here. So welcome, Chaz, to the list of prestigious interviewees. Thanks, Paul. Howdy, folks. We have Phyllis sedated, tied up, and put on the couch, so there should be no interruptions. We're ready to interview, right? Cheer. <laughs> so, for those who have never heard Chaz McDonald, how would you describe your style, and uh, what instruments do you bring to the stage? Most of my style is just trying to do as many shooters as possible during the set and maintain standing up pretty much all the way to the last song. But I, I do like a blues and rock kind of thing. That's really where I'm into. Want to add a little bit of a an edge, if you will. Um not, you know, like a heavy metal kind of thing, but you know, just a little bit of blues, something that's gonna add an edge to the tropical rock shows that we're playing. And uh I play both electric and acoustic guitar um with A1A when I'm out there doing it and same with uh my solo shows. And uh how long have you been performing? I've been, um, my dad taught me a few chords when I was about three years old and, um, uh, got me where I was stringing them together about five or six. And I would go out and play with him in, uh, in, uh, different bands that he was playing in. He was doing a lot of, uh, big band type jazz and, um, uh, stuff like, uh, the Mills Brothers and, you know, some swing type stuff. And I would go out with him. He played, you know, like parties at the lake and the VFW and that kind of thing. And I would go out and strum along with a bunch of the gigs that he was playing at. It was really enlightening, you know, seeing how the uh, the old swing guys really did it. And so you mentioned swing here, but what would you say most of your uh, your personal influences were? Oh wow. Um, first thing I started digging into is like some of the blues players, like uh, Johnny Winter. And uh, Savoy Brown and some of those type characters. My sister had all these records. She was a little older than I was, and I would uh, lay out a Catholic school, which my parents put me in so they could keep an eye on me. <laughs> Didn't work. Um, and uh, I would get into her record collection. I was listening to stuff like Zeppelin and um, uh, Rick Derringer and people like that. And... Uh, Really jumping into that kind of the three and four piece all guitar band, fog hat, that kind of thing, um, starting out as a kid. And I guess a, a far stretch from these uh, Catholic school days would be uh, the Booze Brothers. What exactly is the Booze Brothers? <laughs> what the Booze Brothers are, and actually it's just exactly what it implies, um, when we sort of go off the board, if you will, when Jeff and Cone and and whoever else happens to be jamming at the moment, um, uh, when we go off the board where we're not doing the Jimmy Buffett tribute show kind of thing, and uh, it's way into the double-figure shooter shooters part of the evening, that's where the Booze Brothers will appear. And uh, there's no telling what might come out when the Booze Brothers take over the stage. And uh, Jeff and I got a... Well, the only good way to put it is liquored up the other night in Montgomery. We even put out about a 35-minute version of Freebird, just the two of us, that absolutely would knock your socks off. I'm sure Alan Collins was somewhere holding his ears, but it was, everyone had a grand time with it. And that's what the Booze Brothers are all about, making sure everyone has a good time. We're sort of like the musical version of a shooter girl. So you guys play with A1A, and then you just kind of morph... As the shooters increase into this 
booze brothers, and you just epitomize what it means to be a booze brother. Well, it, it sort of it sort of depends on on uh, you know what the evening. Goes. I mean, if if that's what the party calls for, if we're going to be the the trop rock thing, um, then you know we're there for six eight hours to do the do the full party. But if it's something that's going to be going to that next level or the other level. I can't even say a higher level because after that many shooters, it's more of a lower level. But, um, you know, that once it gets to the point of the evening where the entertainment goes under the table, then it's time for the Booze Brothers. So uh, how did you start with the whole Trop Rock thing? Well, you asked me about influences a minute ago. One of my friends, uh, Joe Lindsay, that I grew up with, he was always bringing me different um different people to listen to check out this have you heard that uh he turned me on to leonard skinner which was a huge influence at the time um turned me on to joe walsh um just all savoy brown all different people that he would sit there and bring have you heard this record and one day he put on a record called havana daydreaming and it all just sort of seemed to click that you know here's this guy meaning jimmy buffett who does this definite stew of music you know all different types put into one type sound and uh, has the entire beach thing going on and just everything that i really sort of wanted to get into i could really picture myself doing the beach type thing and uh it all just clicked right right from that point and so uh i guess a lot of people that are into this genre might know you as the person that performs Back to the island on the A1A live at Hemingway's recording. What was that night like? Could you uh, kind of paint a picture of this evening? That night was really good, but I think I'll jump back and start the night from beforehand and make it even better because it picks up in something that we'll get to a little bit later, <laughs> where a a certain a certain ownership of the establishment that we were playing at got into a slight disagreement with my spouse <laughs> over table arrangements. And I'm not going to name names in here or anything like that, but a slight disagreement, sort of like the thing that we had between us and Germany back in 1944. <laughs> um, it was a huge meltdown, and a guy that you've heard here before, the Reverend Jerry McCollum, sort of saved me for the evening by taking me to the bar. And... Um, Save the save the entire recording process. Then you jump forward to the night we actually recorded it, and um, things. It was a huge party. Everyone was having an absolute blast, and um, we did the two song segue together, um, Frenchman for the night, and um, then going into back to the island. Took everybody by surprise, actually. And uh, my my hard part about it was the fact that there was about two dozen microphone stands set up on stage to record us, and I couldn't figure out which one I was supposed to be singing in. So it was just luck got it that they got the vocal. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned the uh, the Reverend Jerry McCollum, who oh, yeah. uh, has been on this show before. He is the uh, the mastermind behind Vertical Smile, and I understand you play with Vertical Smile as well. I do. Whenever, whenever the VS guys happen to happen to regroup, I I try to get in on it, and uh, that was actually one of the one of the things that um, got me started. When we were talking about recording A One A Live at Hemingway's, uh, that was when I first met Jerry. And um, since Jeff was doing a lot of road work at the time, and I wasn't in A One A yet, 
um, I started doing a lot of work with Jerry during the vertical smile thing. And uh, after that first night with uh, my wife having the altercation with the the person of power at Hemingway's, that sort of started us in. We actually even came up with the vertical smile song there called Rude, (laughs) which speaks about uh, club management and how some of their attitudes can get sometimes. And, uh, yeah, I worked with Jerry on a couple of things, and it was truly amazing to watch people's faces when they realize that you're really not singing their favorite song but it's actually a whole lot better. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a lot of the listeners probably know you as the writer of the famous band stories. Ah, yes. Uh, how did you get started with all that? Uh, tell us a little bit about how, uh, how you started doing band stories. Well, the band stories sort of get their start. I've always sort of been the, uh, the guy that remembered what happened the night before kind of thing. And I would, at the drop of a hat, bore everybody to tears telling the same story I've been telling for the last 20 years with all these different band stories that happened. And uh, my wife sort of got tired of hearing them, and so I started writing them down on my website. And that's sort of where the band story thing came from. What a band story is, is not just a story about a band or not just something that the band did. It's a truly odd happening that could only happen to a band. And I'll give you a little bit of an example. Um, in 1981, I was playing in Ramada Inn in Green, uh, not Greenville, in, uh, yeah, Greenville, Mississippi. And, um, we were in that Ramada and it was an awful place. The people wanted us to play so quiet that you, I mean, I turned my bass amp off and they said, that's perfect. And, um, so we were real disappointed we were playing at. And on our last night there, during our last song before break, a white mouse jumps out on top of the bar and runs the length of the bar. Not something you see every day. And the guys that are at the bar, now this is Greenville, Mississippi. This is, they're all like fertilizer salesmen or something. They're holding their beer up, letting the mouse pass like, oh, there goes Willie, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> the mouse runs the length of the bar with these guys lifting their drinks up so he can make it. And we're, I see this as we're finishing our last song, and I'm going, <laughs> what in the world? The people that ran it were these two two older ladies. And this mouse hops off the bar down on one of the coolers, and these people freak. And they start screaming. They're up on top of the beer coolers. They're yelling. And I walked over. I mean, I, you can't miss it. I walked over, and they were begging me to get the mouse. And I wasn't happy with these folks. Anyway, that mouse is my best friend. Okay. I made a couple of swipes at the mouse with a broom. And at the end of the night, our u- usual business guy was just too, too disgusted to go back in there and get the check from these guys. So they sent me and the lady who was the bartender was telling, telling me that, well, you know, we did okay, but I don't think we'll be having you boys back. And I told her, that's fine. We won't want to come back. And here's something else. I put that mouse in this bar. <laughs> and she just looked at me. <laughs> and did I put the mouse in the bar? Where would you get a mouse in Greenville, Mississippi? I don't know either. But it sounded like a great story. And that's what a band story is all about. Something that's truly odd that happened that has no visible explanation. But it's definitely worth writing down. That's what a band story is. I'm sure there's going to be uh, some stories about uh, A1A going out to Japan over July. I wish I was going. 
What's what's going on with that? Do you think uh, anybody's going to get banned from the nation, or, or what's going <laughs> to? <laughs> it does sort of have international incident written all over it, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Let's see. Let's send these guys off to a land that is overflowing with sake, and just watch what happens next. <laughs> this should be good. <laughs> no, we're going to have a real. Actually, Jeff and I were uh, talking earlier in the evening here about how we just missed being over there while Kiss was on tour. And only missed it by about 20 days. And that would have just been, that really would have been international incident at that point. It would have been just too much. But, um, actually the thing that the thing that we probably ought to do, and I'm going to make a suggestion that we actually auction off a spot on the plane and have a join A1A in Japan type contest. I'll see, wow. see what the guys can come up with on this. <laughs> and, you know, maybe we can do it. And, the only catch of that being the person that wins the contest also has to spend, has to, um, sleep in close proximity to, uh, Laurie Ann, who snores like a chainsaw. And that'll give all the rest of us a little bit of a break. And, you know, it, it'll, that'll be the only catch to winning the contest. But, uh, we're really looking forward to going to Japan, playing for the guys in the seventh fleet. That's going to be a great, anytime we've ever ran into any service people where we've at, we've always had a great time and we love giving them the best show possible because these guys are out there doing a really hairy job, you know, dealing with all the stuff they've got to deal with and they deserve anything we can give them. So we're, we're really looking forward to that part of the trip. So what does the future hold for Chaz McDonald? For Chaz McDonald, I've always been sort of the guy, I've been sort of the Michael Anthony of the band, if you will. The guy that he always said should do the solo project, and you just never hear it. And it, the truth is, just tough to maintain focus. I mean, I'm good at jumping on other people's projects and sort of helping them maintain focus. When it's maintaining my own focus, it gets to be a little bit of a problem. And that's my next thing. This year, I'm dedicating myself to putting out some of my own original tunes, getting some uh, some Chaz solo stuff happening, and um, getting that where that's also part of what gets brought to the A1A gumbo. And, you know, then then you'll see my CDs out there. Cone's got a couple as well. So does Laurie Ann. And uh, Scott's got his side projects as well as Jeff's side projects, plus all the A1A projects. And, you know, I'll bring my own thing to that kind of that that table. All right, Chaz. It was a pleasure having you on here. Thank you. You bet. Thank you, Bob. Goodbye.